Today's episode of The Dave Chang Show is brought to you by State Farm. Look, as you guys know, I tend to give it to you straight. And while I know a lot of things, I also know there are times when I need to lean on others for help. When it comes to insurance, State Farm is the one I count on. I love that they make insurance easy. You can monitor your coverage, pay your bill, or even file a claim with their app, which was just awarded Best Insurance Mobile App of 2019. And thanks to their network of 19,000 agents, you'll have someone local to walk you through options and help you choose a policy that truly meets your needs versus cookie cutter coverage. But what I appreciate most is that they don't mess around. They don't bother with gimmicks or games, just helpful guidance you can rely on. Go out and get the insurance you deserve. Get State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Get a quote or find an agent at statefarm.com. And now, The Dave Chang Show. You're listening to Volume 2 of The Bad Movie Club. Chris and I recorded this weekend with the wonderful, amazing, hyper-talented Joe House of House of Carbs. I can't do it. He's just too fucking good at it. And we didn't want to go down a sad rabbit hole about how bad the movie was. Burnt with Bradley Cooper, Sienna Miller, and the amazing cast that was on it. But um, I was haunted by Bill Simmons' voice over and over and over the past day. Because he's like, yeah, you should totally do uh, 15 minutes on Burnt. Do not do full hour plus. And I was like, it's like hearing like advice from your dad or something. Like, whatever. We'll show you, Podfather. <laughs> we'll show you, Bill Simmons. Don't you dare tell us what will work, what won't work. And uh, humiliated, Chris, of how bad this podcast, not this podcast, but how badly we sort of succumb to the failure of Burnt as a movie. Yeah. Well, the Podfather was right. <laughs> I think he knew before we did that starting to talk about this movie was going to spiral. <laughs> it, was <just> <laughs> 90, it was, it was, it went from like, haha, 15 minutes of how bad is this movie? It's funny to, wow, I'm like, a, I'm a little depressed about how bad this movie is. Yeah. So, um, you know what it was like? It's like when I get in a fight with Grace and it's proven that whatever I was fighting over, I was wrong, but I'm just too fucking proud to admit that I was wrong. <laughs> and I just hold on to that grudge forever and ever and ever. And then you're like, for what? I should have just admitted I was wrong, even if I was <laughs> right. <laughs> Wait, which part of it was that? The part that you that we should have listened to, to Bill or the part that we shouldn't have been picking on this movie? Which part of it felt like that? E everyone. Everyone was right <laughs> except for me. And I'm just telling the whole world now that I was a fucking idiot. Uh, you know, my, my analysis should have just ended at this. Burnt really should have been A Star is Born, and A Star is Born should have been burnt. There. And the only reason a star is born happened in my, you know, paranoid delusional mind was because Bradley Cooper saw all the misses in burnt and he <laughs> rectified it in a star is born. So I, I wanted to tell you exactly sort of what happened. All right. So we got the wonderful Joe house and I'm going to tell you, we're going to condense our two hour conversation to probably like 20, 30 minutes, really the best of Joe house. Cause he was the only thing holding our very sad conversation together. <laughs> so it's going to be a lot of Joe House. After the conversation, I think Chris and I, we let Joe go eat some catfish. And I was really jealous that he got to eat fried catfish and shrimp. Um, 
Chris and I sort of replayed the sorrow of what happened. And then finally, the conversation got meaningful. We're going to have a little bit of that in this podcast as well. But before we get into that, I wanted to just sort of set some parameters. What makes a good culinary movie? Yeah. What, that, that's one question. Two, we don't have to talk about bad because burnt literally is the definition now of what's a bad culinary movie. Two, what makes a bad, good movie? Uh-huh. So first, let's go into your, what you believe is the culinary, like, what is a good culinary movie? What, what does it have to have? Honestly, I think a good culinary movie can be about food. It can be about a restaurant. It can be about a chef. But it's got to be about something else, too. You know, Big Night is a great culinary movie, not because it's a great restaurant story, but because it's a story about two brothers who have put everything on the line. It's a human story. Uh, Ratatouille is a story on, about... On Big, a, on, I think what Big Night actually does an amazing job encapsulating is the existential absurdity of running a restaurant. And I think anyone that's been in restaurants knows this. Wait, you're telling me we're going to continue to do this service knowing full well we're not going to get the customer that we actually needed to blow away. And we're just going to, we're doing this for no reason whatsoever. To me, that was the beautiful thing about that movie. If you work in the restaurant industry, you're going to know what I'm talking about because it makes no sense whatsoever and you still go ahead and do it. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that this movie tried to tickle specific... It, you know what? I mean, this movie was trying to hit the same notes as Kitchen Confidential. Like, that's the truth. Like, he's trying to use, like, the bluntness and peel back the curtain a nature of... Tony's book and, and the way he approached cooking and it just missed the mark. It was trying to get that same exact foodie audience, but it wasn't relatable. It wasn't honest. No, and, and no, that's no, like no. The hard part. <laughs> what burnt was trying to do was like, this is the, the symbol of burnt is that they have Sienna Miller with a chef's knife tattoo on the left side of her neck. <laughs> that should tell you everything, what they were trying to do. It was, right trying to look the part without actually seeing if there's any substance behind any of that. And just a bad movie, man. <laughs> All right, wait, wait. See, you can see, so everybody can see right now why this podcast spiraled. <laughs> because we can't avoid talking about how bad this movie is. Let me bring us back to your question, <laughs> Ching. <laughs> Otherwise, we're going to embark on 90 more minutes of just sadness. What makes a good culinary movie? I think a good culinary movie, again, is Again, Ratatouille is a fucking cartoon, but what it did was it allowed you to tap into your own life, your own nostalgia, to actually take part in a culinary journey of a fucking rat. <laughs> it's crazy yeah. to me. But all of those things, even like, you know, a movie that tried that was pretty good, but not great is Spanglish, right? Mm -hmm. You know, like there are moments that I've seen that I'm like, oh man, like I can totally relate to that. But obviously not. Um you want it to be relatable, even if you don't know how to relate to that person. And I think what makes a good culinary movie is we're not just cooks. We're humans. We have exactly you know faults just like anyone else. And the problem with a lot of the culinary movies, it becomes this archetype character and it's one dimensional. And that's not the case. Um, so I think a lot of the culinary movies, again, like one of my favorite movies about food that we talk about in this podcast is 100 foot journey with Helen Mirren. And um, 
I'm sorry, I can't remember the other characters with an Indian family that moves to to countryside of France. And, you know, like, was it perfect? No, it wasn't perfect. I like the fact that they just talk about the five French mother sauces, like <laughs> simple things like that. But what it did was it tugged at the heart, but not in like a cheesy way, but it was aspirational too, right? So I, I can relate to that. But I think if we're going to do movie reviews, you know, I think moving forward, they should be bad, good movies, much like Demolition Man or Roadhouse. Again, Roadhouse is the benchmark of, <laughs> of bad, good movies. Um, but some of the sort of lesser known culinary movies that are out there. And we'll see. Like, I don't know, but I know moving forward, we're not going to do movies that are just fucking bad. And we apologize. Yeah. And thank you, Joe House, from the bottom of my heart for sticking through what was must have felt like kidney stones for you. <laughs> yeah. You know, at the, I'm like semi scared to like listen back to what we did because by the end of this thing, we were in a we were in a weird place, Chang. You and I especially, I feel like and I think I got like a little drunk and emotional <laughs> there at the end, but like there's a reason why you know, a movie like Burnt I think offends us or hurts us or hurts you more than me obviously but like like you said it could have been great all the ingredients were there for something that could have really captured the like um, the true emotion of being a, a chef and having a singular pursuit like that for me it's just it's a disappointment because especially right now i think so much when i'm thinking so much about restaurants and i, I just think about how much this industry has given me personally not just in terms of food and, and experiences, but just like, I, it's like built my entire adult life around this. And I know it's the same for you. And like, that's why, that's why we get so like offended about it and uh, why we probably shouldn't <laughs> do that yeah. again. No, we shouldn't. And you know, one last note on burnt, and I know it's going to go all over the place is this idea that it could have been better if we want a message. We want something that I think that's not just aspirational, but true. You know, it's a story about a, a very talented chef that had a fall from grace because of addiction and substance and narcissism and sociopathic tendencies and such. But <laughs> I think what you want, and it's not just me projecting, if he came back, it's not about getting three stars. You know, a really great chef, and you see this in this profession, and many of them are my close friends, you see the point where they realize, like, oh, I, I was an idiot. You know what? Yeah. Who gives a fucking shit about this? Like the good ones, they're like, yeah, we've done that. And you know what? That was the worst time of my life. And now I want to feed people. Now I want to like help people. And it's not about getting that third star. And, you know, it would have been about, truthfully, the entire movie should have been his reconciliation to Michelle. Yeah. You're right. It should have been about, it was every, the whole movie was about the redemption of this character that nobody really needed to see redeemed. And it never really happened. Like you said, it could have been about his relationship with Michelle, who was the, had the most interesting arc of all, or even Sienna Miller's character, uh, Ellen. All right, you know? stop, stop. We're, we're going down the weeds. We're going down the weeds. <laughs> there's something, there's something powerful. I, 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 th I think they must have put like subliminal messages in this movie because it just draws you in. And I've never talked about a movie I hate so much like I talk about Burn. I just don't even know fucking why. It is like, I feel like this is what a moth feels like drawn to the flame. Like we, yeah. it's, it's, we can't help but be pulled in and burn ourselves. Um, anyway, uh, so just to set this up, we asked Joe House. Well, this is actually the real setup. We asked Bill Simmons and uh, Joe House to do this. Bill Simmons 
just ghosted us. Straight ghosted us. For good reason. Straight ghosted us because I think he was teaching us a lesson. Don't waste my (laughs) motherfucking time. I know it's the quarantine, fellas. Don't waste my motherfucking time. (laughs) And uh, I apologize again. Like, I'm so sorry, Bill, that we just even wasted your time with an email. That was just... (laughs) God damn it. And Joe House, the, the most pleasant... Loving person with 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 some real good hot takes in this, so we we go into detail. We're, if it jumps around on this on the portion with Joe House, it's because we edited out so much. We went off the rails in so many different ways. So it might just be five minutes long. We don't even know. We're recording this before we edit the podcast, so bear with us. But we're figuring this out. And um, if we haven't lost you, I don't know how much of my kidney stones are going to remain in the intro too. So. <laughs> We were really trying to see if we could have no listeners by the end of this podcast. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So here you go. Here is a uh, bad movie club review of Burnt. That's going to be some weird edit of our conversation with Joe House and Chris Ying and myself. And then post review, Chris and I, I think, again, saw death <laughs> and realized like, oh, what, what did we do? The reckoning is now. <laughs> All right. Give us five stars, however you rate this podcast. <laughs> I mean, just write five stars on a little piece of paper yeah, yeah. for us. Um, uh, but seriously, don't have to watch Burn. But if you did, <laughs> sorry. If you don't know, we've done Bad Movie Club with Demolition Man, and this is our second foray into it. Uh, A lot of positive reviews on Demolition Man, by the way. I thought it was one of the worst podcasts we've ever done. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But so the first time around with Demolition Man, we tried to convince our producer, Isaac Lee, of the merits of Demolition Man. I don't see a similar case being made this time around for the movie Burnt. Is anybody, are any of the three of us going to take up the flag of, of Burnt here? No. No. No chance. It's a movie that I, I, I was so mad that I even suggested that we watch this because I had to watch it again. Yang had to watch it twice. Joe, have you, how, how, is this your first time watching it? Third time. Oh, man. What do you think? Worse? Better? Way worse. It was torture. <laughs> it was the two times I've seen it previously, my attention has been on something else. You know, it right. replaced sports. It was late night or something, and I stumbled into it, and I was like, oh, food movie. The very first time I watched it, I was like, oh, I'm interested in this because there's going to be some delicious food. And I was like, oh, I don't. this is dumb. It's all cliched. The second time I sat down and walked it all the way through, I was like, oh, this sucks. I'm, I'm sorry that I wasted 100 <laughs> minutes that way. I watched it again last night to be ready for this podcast. I'm mad. I'm yeah. I'm mad. I'm going to say bad I, things mad. about Bradley Cooper. You're mad. I fucking bought this movie. There was, <laughs> I bought it. I bought it twice. I bought this movie two times oh. because the first time, whatever the service like didn't work. So I spent like thirty dollars on this movie in the last week. But let me ask you this: So, House, did you 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 didn't see this in theaters? No. Chang, when this first came out. Did you see it in theater? Did you rush? I avoided this movie like the plague. Did you rush out and see it? They sent it to me as a screener because they wanted to know if I wanted to like talk about it positively. And I said, no, this is a terrible movie. I cannot do it. <laughs> <laughs> so you saw it very early on. House, when did you first see this? Um, 
whenever it was on like the cable circuit. So like sometime in the last couple of years, for sure. I'm, I'm kind of stunned by, by what Chang just said, though, because it was one of the questions I had. They sent it to you because you're a chef. Yeah. And they wanted your food perspective. Yeah. And, <laughs> and they the were proud thing of it. That's stunning about this movie is the food could not be less relevant. The, the, the food is such a sidecar in this piece of shit. It's, it's, uh, so there's a quick side note. Okay. So this is good. I think the cast, by the way, is, it's an all star ensemble, right? Uma it Thurman, really is. Emma Thompson. It, it's, it's unbelievable. The Oscar winners and the caliber. Sienna Miller is an amazing actress, one of my favorite actresses. So I want to shout out Sienna Miller because this is a true story. I recently, uh, well, I would say too recently, I met her at a, a party. She, we have a mutual friend, and I did not say a word to her. I spoke to you know, a couple of the friends that she was with, but I wasn't able to talk to her because I just think the world of her as an actress in all these other movies, but I couldn't look at her with a straight face because of the movie <laughs> Birds. <laughs> I so I, I, I tried to not talk to her because, you know, I guess I was intimidated because she's this big celebrity, but also I couldn't look at her and not see her in the role. I never thought I'd ever see her in my life to begin with, so that was weird. And sure. her character in the movie made it seem impossible that I could ever look at her in any way other than the sous chef character in the movie. So I, I doubt anybody is going to... I would highly advise against anybody listening to this podcast if you haven't seen it, but if you are, should we do a little synopsis of this thing? I think you might be the best person to do it, Chris. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you didn't want to do it? I thought I thought somebody else was going to jump in. Okay, I got this. I got this. Uh, I've seen, This is the first time I've seen this movie, actually. I had, not, I had avoided it. I watched it twice. I hate it. Um, but here's here it goes. Here's what this movie is about. Uh, Bradley Cooper plays a character named Adam Jones, who is a chef. At some point in his past, uh, a past that we never see on screen, but gets explained to us sort of in voiceover in the first uh, 90 seconds. He, It turns out he was a two-Michelin-star chef in Paris, I believe, but his demons took him down, specifically drugs and alcohol and, and women and ego. Throughout the movie, we get little tastes of his of this, of this past life that's alluded to. Drug dealers who are dressed up in sort of a business casual attire are constantly chasing after him. He may or may not... I think he impregnated the daughter of his chef mentor, who was the uh, very creatively named Jean-Luc. And then at perhaps his lowest moment, he was so impaired by illegal drugs that he released rats into his friend Michel's restaurant. Uh, Michel is, uh, was one of his sous chefs, played by Omar Sy. And Bradley Cooper was so fucked up that he doesn't remember doing this. He doesn't remember calling the health inspector and releasing these rats into his friend's restaurant. So we find, no, we you're find missing, our you're friend... Missing, you're missing the best part. <laughs> He did. What's the best part? Penance by opening oysters in New Orleans. I was, <laughs> I'm just, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. So th that's a lot of backstory <laughs> that we get in voiceover. We find, we find our hero, Adam Jones, washed up in New Orleans, where he has, uh, he's paying his self prescribed penance of shucking one million oysters. And he has a little book that he keeps track of his oyster tally in. Uh, and that's where we find him. So uh, from there, he flies to London, where he reunites with his old maitre d, Tony. There's a whole montage of him doing like kind of like an Ocean's Eleven style, get the crew back together. Like this guy's in prison. This one is, you know, working, I don't know, oil rig or whatever. He he gets all these people together, including a, a young woman named Helen, Helene, played by Sienna Miller, 
who does not succumb to Adam's, uh, to Bradley Cooper's charms for a full seven minutes. <laughs> uh, and, and then decides to join him in his ragtag crew as they embark upon their mission to, the backbone of this entire movie is Bradley Cooper's journey to try to get his third Michelin star. There's a nemesis character named Reese, Montgomery Reese or something like that. His name is name? Reese, yes. Reese, and he's played Michael by Matthew Reese. Matthew Reese. Yeah. Reese, the nemesis, has this restaurant that's kind of like a parody of a molecular gastronomy restaurant. Um, you know, the kitchen looks like like a ICU from the future or something. Um, but yeah, that is that's basically the the plot. Uh, it's Adam Jones, the chef, trying to get his third Michelin star. He's a stereotypical, not even stereotypical. He's a, he's just a, he's a farcical, loudmouth chef. The two things that were the big glaring problems for me is like this kind of fine dining has been irrelevant, I think, for at least 15 years, maybe longer. And I have no idea what it is that Adam Jones is good at. What makes him a good fucking chef? <laughs> yeah. Is it his what's talent? His, what's his is style? it his night yeah. skills? What the fuck? He's a bad person, number one. Yeah. He's a horrible human being. He really is. Let's just put it out there. But before I want to get into the nitty gritty, Here's what's amazing. You have an uh, amazing cast. Just Oscar talent galore. It was written by this guy named Scott Z. Burns. And this is where I, we can tie everything into modern day. Guess what movie he directed a lot of people have watched recently? I don't know. Contagion. Oh, wow. wow. Great movie. Great, great movie by Sodenberg. He also wrote the screenplays for The Bourne Ultimatum, one of my favorites. It's a good one. The Informant with Matt Damon also, which is one of my, it's a great movie. He's produced The Inconvenient Truth. He's like a, a bona fide, serious, amazing filmmaker and, and part of the film industry. And he made something that, like, I think just missed. He missed it. You're holding it up have your been fingers good. like he missed by a little. He didn't well, miss. You know, I don't want to give the Al Pacino speech, but that, that much is a lot. You know? Okay. Okay. <laughs> it's a lot. Yeah. It's a game of inches. It's a game of inches. So the, the director, John Wells, right, worked on The West Wing worked on ER. So he has a history of taking these very kind of specific worlds and making like great dramas out of them. And he did the same, you know, he, he attempted the same thing here basically with Kitchen. So my question to you guys is this, is it possible for you to remove the irrelevant like sous vide everywhere, the food is bullshit, it's terrible, it's not realistic, and tell me whether or not you would like this movie if you had no idea what food was? Like, no idea whether this was, like, accurate? That's what I think is interesting is, I think if I didn't know anything about the industry and I just went in as, like, like watching A Star is Born, right? I'd be like, oh, maybe this is good. I don't know. You know I mean? Three of us are sort of in food more than others, but I don't know. What, what are your thoughts? If you were just an average, no-interest person in food and you watched it, would you be entertained because of the star, the stars in the movie and so on and so forth? Is it good enough? No. That's right. The answer is no. This is what they did. Um, and I don't know who the culprit is. I, I'll be respectful to the everybody involved in terms of the production and direction and everything. But the food was rendered completely irrelevant by, you know, the arc with uh, uh, Bradley Cooper. And he could have been anything. He could have been a writer. He could have been a porn star. It, the food didn't matter one bit in terms of the yeah. arc of the story. And it was completely marginalized. 
Here's why I, th- I, th- I think you're exactly right, House, but here's, here's why I think this movie would have sucked even if we, had, we knew nothing about food. Even if the three of us saw like a sous vide lamb chop basted in butter, we're like, wow, that looks amazing. That's the most uh, amazing thing I've ever seen. Even if that were the case, here's why I, the reason why this movie sucks is like all of the cool shit already happened and we don't get to see any of it. <laughs> this movie is about the semi-comeback of a chef that never gets resolved. All the stuff that happened where he released rats in Paris, he had like a crazy meteoric rise and then downfall, uh, got addicted to drugs, fucked up his entire existence. The tragedy of A Star is Born happened in some kind of prequel that we never get to see. And this movie was like, and now... What happened so next? So can I can I can I give you my alternate reality of why why this movie could have been this good? Okay, like, this is this. I'm interested. I think I think Bradley. I mean, Chris has heard my theory before. I think Bradley Cooper realized what a fucking shitty fucking movie he made, and he basically decided, you know what? Exactly. This could he could have been a writer, the, the the character Adam Jones. He could have been anything. So what he tried to do was took your advice, Joe House, and he said, I'm just going to turn him into a movie. I mean, a, a musician. An aging <laughs> country alt rocker, and I'm gonna have right. Lady Gaga be Sienna Miller. I like this. Now, now right? you're talking. That's a real yeah. movie, as opposed That's a real to movie. this. Yeah, and it, it's called A Star Is Born. <laughs> so, so what this movie is? This what this movie is? What what burnt is? Is if all of the things that happened in The Star Is Born happened off camera and then were explained in a voiceover, yeah. and then Bradley Cooper was like. And now you find me here, and I'm going to try to start again. Like that, it's just like what we don't want to see this part. We want to see the cool part. That's right. We miss all the cool part. But but I wanted to like get like a little bit in order because my notes go in order on this. I want to go back to the all right, beginning. Let's go. Let's start from the very beginning. Let's so, start from the beginning, Chang. It takes place in Hoss. If you haven't been to this restaurant, it's one of the great great restaurants in New Orleans. It's Casa Menos. I haven't been. I don't know if I'm pronouncing. Oh, it right. it's a. I didn't know it's a real place. Yeah. It's an amazing oh, shit, oyster house. Amazing. And uh, Casamentos, Casamentos, and um, it's one of my favorite spots the last time I was in New Orleans, and it re- is a real bona fide oyster shop. Oh. Now, I did my actual math. I can't believe this. A million oysters. <laughs> and I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt uh, that uh, he's uh, going to shuck a thousand oysters a day. And I don't think that's possible. I do not think that's possible without developing severe carpal tunnel syndrome. And honestly... Two to three hundred would be a lot for one person to do in a day. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and say he's a prodigy of oyster shucking. Yes. He's Adam Jones. <laughs> yes. I'm going to give him that. I'm going to give him that. I'm also going to give him the fact that he's going to work a thousand oysters a day and he's going to work six days a week because he already said back in, you know, when we worked for Jean Luc, he was working 20 hours a day, six days a week. So that makes 6,000 oysters a week. 6,000 oysters a week divided by a million. With the time and the week, so it's it's takes eight point three hours a day to shuck a thousand oysters. With the math uh, that I did, and it's actually accurate, it's one hundred sixty six weeks at a thousand oysters a day at six days a week. That means three point two years at the best case scenario. At thirty seconds an oyster, too, right? That's thirty seconds an oyster. Like I'm giving the benefit (laughs) of that across the board. The reality is, it's probably five to six years if you wanted to do. A million yeah. oysters. I did you I did you one better, mm. Chang. Because I think we all did the math on this. But here's the craziest part. Because you're right. A th- and you would know better than anybody in the world. A thousand oysters a day is fucking bananas. Bananas. The last day 
So when we catch we catch Adam Jones, he's going to his job. He's got his little booklet where he keeps track of all the oysters he's done. And this is his last day of penance. He's going to hit 1 million oysters today. I paused it. I looked at the screen and I did the subtraction. On that last day, he had to shuck 3,304 <laughs> oysters. <laughs> and he's fu- and and if if like maybe it's edited wrong, but it looks like he's done before 10 a.m. <laughs> and he fucking walks out. 3,300 oysters. You just don't, that's just like not possible. Like, I just don't understand why that would happen. And that made me mad right off the bat. I was like, this is not believable. And that's what Chris is saying. They're trying to make it believable, but it's not fucking believable. It just isn't. I'm sorry. There's no fucking way. Yeah. And I'm a really good fucking oyster shaker. There's no fucking way. <laughs> 3,300 in a day is way too many, Chick. That is crazy. The shame of it for me is those oysters. And him eating that oyster was probably the single... There's a one other scene that we'll get to when we talk about the food. But that was 1A or 1B of the most compelling food moments in the whole uh, effing absolutely. movie. Absolutely. 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 And then there's this other element there where like he's supposed to be like paying his dues, right? Like He fucked it up. He's trying to pay his penance and become a better man by shucking a million oysters. But then he, he shucks number one million. He slurps it down and then he walks out of his job with no explanation. You know what? You know what, dude? You are not rehabilitated and you are denied your fucking parole, dude. Walk out of your job without a word one. Get what back a to work, fucking dude. prick. What a prick. I mean, like, that's what I kept on saying throughout the movie. It's like, what a fucking prick. I mean, I just couldn't believe it. And like, we go into the next thing that I have notes on. He's like, he gets to London and he just, how does he find this kid that he knows that's making these lamb sandwiches? And then he tells him, like, you're going to pay me to, like, teach you how to cook. And I'm going to live at your house. Like, what a fucking asshole. What an, ar- what an arrogant prick, right? Like, would you ever do that? Just go to some random ass person like, I'm living with you now? Well, so he, this is during his, like, crew assembly scene. He's going all over the place to find his his like badass cooks each host has a different specialty and i actually think the food porn in this part is pretty good they're going through kind of like the street food of london it looks it looks good on screen i, I think the food porn looks good and <laughs> of course he's like in these kind of like quote unquote ethnic restaurants these little holes in the wall and he picks out the pastiest motherfucker to join his crew <laughs> just yeah, this, like, what the fuck? <laughs> fucking scottish kid or something <laughs> comes out and he he gives him this speech that's like Oh, you like me, huh? Would you work for free? Would you pay me to work for you? I'm just like, this is this is gross. What is going on right now? It, yeah, it, it, it's it's pretty bad, man. And and the whole thing is just like it's too clever by half. Every every line of dialogue is too clever by then half. Then he crashes at the kid's place, and his girlfriend's Lily James, who's now like super famous. <laughs> Hey, easy. Take it easy, house. <laughs> Wait, I don't know who Lily James is. Um. Phil Collins' daughter. Oh my goodness gracious. I didn't know that. Yeah. I think I'm right. I think I'm right. Am I right? She is... I have slow internet here. We'll just say it's true. Don't worry about it. Fine. <laughs> Phil Collins' daughter. Terrific. Let me just edit this Wikipedia page to say she's Phil Collins' daughter. Am I right? No. Oh, fuck <laughs> it. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. Everything's true. true. Take, true. Everybody drink Clorox and yeah. shine flashlights in so, your mouth so, and it'll kill So corona. he's staying at his place and they go in the Michelin fucking one star, you're amazing. Two star, you're like 
Obi-Wan Kenobi, three-star Yoda. Like, no, that's sort of, I guess I could, if you had to really reduce it and be reductive, maybe. But here's my really like nitpicking of the food on that scene. He makes them food. Number one, who makes escargot? What kind of fucking asshole makes escargot (laughs) at someone's house that you're crashing at? Two. Yeah. This is a line he says. He whips up a ricotta toast and says, I picked up all these summer vegetables. (laughs) You know what's not a summer vegetable? Peas. (laughs) (laughs) I'm pretty sure having lived in London before, their spring coincides with uh, the East Coast of America spring and peas is a a May-ish type of thing. Like, no, he was wrong. So... Uh, I just like these are the things if they're going to try to make it super accurate make it fucking accurate and that's what again made me really upset so I think at this point he has you know we've met Bradley Cooper he's washed up he's shucked his million oysters he is the fastest oyster shucker by a factor of 100x he flies to London to start a restaurant and he, we should mention, he he partners up. He partners up with his old maitre d'. Who's in love with him. Tony, who's in love with him. Who is in love with him. Played by the actor Daniel Bruhl, who is Zemo from the Captain America movies. <laughs> oh, how about that? <laughs> Here's my question for you guys. Here's my question for you guys. What country is this fucking character from? <laughs> what is this accent? What accent is this? He's supposed to be French. Please. He's supposed to be French. No, he's not fucking French because he doesn't speak French. At one point he says, I don't, he's like, my French is rusty. I don't speak French. Wow. House. It, it, it sounds to me like a bad, like, uh, English dialect. Like, you know, something from the English, the countryside kind of thing. I, I think we should have got like a linguistic expert on here because this motherfucker's accent changes on every scene he is in. It's absolutely hey, house, crazy. House, let's let's just go back a little bit. If if you and me ever go split a uh, whopper at a Burger King, yeah, and if I ever give you a speech that basically says like you don't know what cooking is, this is peasant food. You you know blah 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 like. You know, the French food that you make is actually peasant food and all this shit. And I start pontificating. I want you to kick me in the balls with a hammer. <laughs> I'm going uh, to kick you in the right ball because the left's yeah. already been through enough. <laughs> but you got it. I promise. I will do that for you. Listen. If I got that <laughs> speech, I swear to God, I would. I, if someone even said that to me, I would get so violent, I think. I, I don't know what I'd say. This is the most I'm going to stick my head in the lion's den here. I'm going to stick my head in the lion's den here. There was a moment. Listen, I... I was three sheets to the wind when I watched this movie the first time. I'm half a bottle of gin in as we're talking about this right now. <laughs> but Chang, there are a couple moments in here. I, the lines are forced. They come out of context. But I was like, Dave Chang has said some shit like that to me before. <laughs> oh! <laughs> no, no, no way. <laughs> well, let me, let me ask this. Why did Tony the Mater D have to be gay and in love with this jackass. <laughs> How's that help the story any? How's that advance the fucking story? What relevancy <laughs> does it bear to the over to the arc? But here's here's the here, Zero. here to me is actually Zero. the biggest tragedy that was missed. You know what that would be a better movie actually is where Michelle is the main character, someone that got fucked over by a guy named Adam Jones. That is 100% it, Chang. If Michelle, the chef who Bradley Cooper releases rats into his restaurant and he gets shit on this entire movie. If he is the main character, this movie is fucking gold. Then you have a chance. Yeah. And we're going to jump to the scene. Like, 
jump ahead because you know the best part of the fucking movie was when Michelle sabotaged Adam Jones. I was like, fuck yeah, dude. That's exactly what I would have done. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, man. You, no, that, you ruined my life. I would make this my life's mission to ruin him in some form or fashion. <laughs> So that is actually, I'm glad you brought that up because like, so what Michelle does, he's been, he's abiding his time. He, he agrees to, you know, when Adam Jones, when Bradley Cooper sees his old sous chef, Michelle, for the first time, they embark on a very slow speed chase through the streets of London. They fight, they make up. Michelle agrees to join him again as his sous chef. And then it turns out way, way, way down the line that he's been plotting this all along, that he's going to get his revenge, that he's going to put Cayenne in the... Whatever he put it in. And Cheng, if you know what he put it in, I don't fucking know. He put what it that in a, the pomme puree with the beef in the little goblet, glass goblet. It was a little glass goblet of pomme puree that has a streak of of cayenne in it. But I think that like <laughs> if he's if he's the main character, that's that's the it's, best yeah, fucking part of The movie of this really should have been first of all, like let's be honest, it's a way more compelling story if you actually have a black person that's at the top of his profession kicking ass and then getting sabotaged by this fucking white motherfucker named Adam Jones. Yeah, like, that's right. That's right. And that's actually some real, I mean, you tell the story if you know it better, Chang, but that's like a real, that that moment to me, it seems very kind of real? Uh, unrealistic. I think fantastical to a to an outside audience, but that's they don't some know. fucking they don't know. Gordon Ramsay, no, no. Marco Pierre White yeah, shit no, right there, no, right? Stealing they, the reservation book. Yeah, but they also don't understand how sabotage is a real thing. I mean, like, do you do you remember that story though, or like, was it was it Marco Pierre showed up at somebody's restaurant and stole their reservation book off? The, yeah, well, people don't know just how barbaric it used to be. Oh, right? like cutthroat kitchen, oh, cutthroat man. restaurant wars. Yeah, man, this is before anyone cared. Like this, the, so here's another thing. A lot of this is sort of framed on the bygone era that we've really romanticized. Yeah, and it's obviously seen as toxic. All these things that are like clearly wrong but no one ever looked at it and we we've glorified it in this movie and i'm like what the fuck are we doing here this is so stupid that's the thing that's so stunning to me because this movie is 2015 it's yeah. not 1986 yep. the white fucking guy doesn't win he, every marginalized <laughs> you know every other walk of life in this movie is shit on and he conquers all how can that make any sense? Which is why Bradley Cooper killed himself in A Star is Born. He had to make it right. That's fucked up. House, I'm so glad that you brought up this 2015 because I'm going to tell you the honest truth. I, I, Like I said, I avoided this movie like the plague. I saw it come out. I saw the previews and I was like, I'm not watching this fucking thing. This is just going to make me sad. Chang makes me watch it for this podcast. I think um, it's going to be the lowest rated podcast we've ever done. No, I'm sorry about Joe House. It's not it's because okay. of you. It's no, because I'm used to it. If this is, if this is well rated, it's, it's, it's going to be equally depressing if this is the highest rated podcast ever because it's definitely because we got the white guy on this podcast. Well, the, kidney <laughs> stone, the kidney stone is going to be a helper. That, people fucking love kidney stones. Oh, they love We broke about up that. the Asian hegemony. <laughs> We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Today's episode of The Dave Chang Show is brought to you by State Farm. Look, as you guys know, I tend to give it to you straight. And while I know a lot of things, I also know there are times when I need to lean on others for help. When it comes to insurance, State Farm is the one I count on. I love that they make insurance easy. You can monitor your coverage, pay your bill, or even file a claim with their app, which was just awarded Best Insurance Mobile App of 2019. And thanks to their network of 19,000 agents, you'll have someone local to walk you through options and help you choose a policy that truly meets your needs versus cookie cutter coverage. But what I appreciate most is that they don't mess around. 
They don't bother with gimmicks or games, just helpful guidance you can rely on. Go out and get the insurance you deserve. Get State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Get a quote or find an agent at statefarm.com. Today's show is also brought to you by ZipRecruiter. During this time of change, we want you to know that ZipRecruiter's focus hasn't changed. They're still doing what they've always done, helping people find work and helping businesses find the right people for their open roles. If you're looking for a job, ZipRecruiter is working with you to find the right job faster. They are dedicated to helping you get hired from caretaking to delivering food and goods to building medical facilities, supplying protective equipment, and so much more. In fact, ZipRecruiter's app will send you up-to-date job openings so you can be one of the first to apply. And if you're actively hiring, ZipRecruiter will invite candidates to apply to your most urgent roles, making it faster and easier to reach the people you need. By connecting people who need jobs and companies that need people, ZipRecruiter is working with all of us so we can keep moving forward. Let's work together. Today's show is brought to you by Masterclass. Masterclass lets you learn from the best with exclusive access to online classes taught by masters of their craft. You can learn how to cook California cuisine by Alice Waters, Mexican food by Gabriel Camara, Italian food by Massimo Batura. These are all amazing people. I'm lucky to call them my friends, Thomas Keller, Wolfgang Puck, Gordon Ramsay. My favorite is you have Aaron Franklin of the Great Franklin's Barbecue in Austin, Texas. There's literally over 80 different instructors across tons of categories. There's literally something for everyone. You have Annie Leibovitz talking about photography. You have creative leadership from Anna Wintour. You have hostage negotiations. The list goes on and on. The Masterclass app is accessible on your phone, web, Apple TV, or Amazon Fire TV. Each class is broken out into individual video lessons and downloadable materials, all of which you can explore at your own pace. And lessons are about 10 to 15 minutes in length, so they can fit into your schedule whenever you're making time to learn a new skill or master a hobby. Try it at bedtime. I'm telling you, it's awesome. Buy one annual Masterclass all-access pass for yourself and get one free to share. Go to masterclass.com slash Chang to get started with this limited time offer. That's masterclass.com slash Chang. And now, back to the show. I was watching this movie and maybe a third of the way through when, when they, when she shows up at his restaurant, when, when Sienna Miller shows up at the restaurant and says like the big turning moment for the restaurant is when Adam Jones discovers the magic of sous vide oh, cooking me. and she, <laughs> she shows up and they start cooking and I was like, ah, you know, I don't know. Maybe this movie is pretty good actually for when it was made and, and this seems relevant and maybe this was like a big turning point in my head. I was like, this movie came out in 2006 and then I was like, I'm going to look up when this movie came out. 2015? Are you fucking kidding me? You know, right. The, like, that's crazy. The whole idea of cooking sous vide, and that was the, the villainized version of modern gastronomy, made me so mad. And the fact that if you are going to cook in vacuum and under pressure, the last thing you're going to do on every station is have a deep hotel pan with a water circulator <laughs> on every station. Like, I was like... Who the fuck consulted on this movie? This is the <laughs> dumbest thing I've ever fucking seen. This will get cut from the podcast, but the executive culinary consultant is Mario Batali, by the way. Oh, oof. Actually, I, I don't think we should cut that. I think that's a reason. <laughs> There's a reason why. This movie but, was executive no, culinary that. Makes sense. consultant. You guys Mario Batali. are tapping into the thing that I still can't answer. When was this kind of restaurant this kind of food last appealing it, it hasn't been in 20 years has this it? is late 90s early aughts 1997 to 2002 
and, and I'm, I know I'm correct on that because this is the end of Marco Pierre White's run and the beginning of Gordon Ramsay's ascent before he was a television star. And all those dishes were, and if you really look at those dishes, like I saw one of those dishes was just slices of beet puree and a canal of goat cheese. I was like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> like, this whole thing, listen, my favorite plate on this whole thing was they have one of these plates and I can't remember the name, but they're like 800 buck plates where they're all with, with the holes, holes and they have a slow poached egg. That's the best dish. <laughs> I mean, Joe House, it's the dumbest thing. I, you might want to see it. It's like, it's a plate that's riddled with holes and then they... They drip basically pure so egg and it just dribbles all over the it's the dumbest. I just everything was made to look good without any thought in the accuracy of anything. And I just I can't even I it makes me so mad watching this movie. Okay, so there's a perforated plate. It's you know, bone china, whatever, but it's perforated and there's a beautiful egg on top. And you know, it's I don't know. The the saturation on the color is crazy. It's like a red egg. But can you describe for listeners like what is this food? What what are you what do you see when you're looking at this food? And this is not Joe House food. It? I'll tell you that. No, much. that's that's the problem. And this is um, the challenge. I only can process what it is that they're putting on the plate that's supposed to impress everybody by them describing it and by the the as the orders come in them yelling what the food consists of because i can't tell it's dainty food it's fastidiously prepared it's a performance art i don't give a shit about any of that that's not food that i want to eat the the only two scenes in this entire movie that made me interested in the food were the oysters at the beginning and the halibut that sienna miller serves her daughter for breakfast that was like, oh, I was like, that looks fucking good. Yeah. And I would like to try that for breakfast. So there, there, there are a lot of inaccuracies throughout it, right? I saw a pair of tongs flipping meat. I'm sorry, like tongs are used, but there's not one three mission star aspirational restaurant in the world using tongs. That's just out. I also saw, <laughs> this is like how granular I took this. I saw a, a pot being washed and it was an a, aluminum pot. There's no way in hell any respectable restaurant that was trying to be the best restaurant in in the UK is using an aluminum pot, especially a small saucy. If it was a boiling pot, I could understand to boil water, but no, that was a sauce pot. Absolutely not fucking possible. This is just, again, I I have so many notes here about this. (laughs) So let's get into the food a little bit. Let's get in the food a little bit. Okay, so I took some really nerdy notes, as you did, Chang. Less nerdy than yours are, I'm sure, but... In the culminating scene of the movie, when they're cooking for who they think are the Michelin inspectors, I'm keeping track of all the dishes on the menu as Adam Jones is plating a portion of, I think it's beef or lamb, but I'm pretty sure it's beef. Uh, he's calling out all of the dishes on the menu, and I started keeping a running tally. On the menu at what is supposed to be a three Michelin star restaurant, he calls out pappardelle, foie gras, halibut, pigeon, sweetbread, burrata, toast, lamb, scallop, halibut, rack of lamb. What is this fucking Noah's Ark, man? That's every animal on the fucking planet that's at this restaurant. There's no restaurant that serves all of the... There's no three Michelin star restaurant, Dave. No. That serves this kind of menu. No, and it just is... Again, like, if this was from the late 90s, it would make more sense. But it's... Yeah. This was 2015. It's fucking crazy. Here's my question. And I, I'm going to try and tread carefully because this is the, the Dave Chang podcast. And I don't want to get you... Un, you know, by accident in trouble with anybody. I don't think it was the case that in 2014 or 2015 or 2016, and maybe this, this is a confession about my walk of life that Michelin stars 
they mean something. They tell you something about what the experience you're going to have. But like that as the apex of Food Mountain. I don't know. No, 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 no. I I think it's changed. But like, here's where I don't want to get in the positives either, my house, but they could have done a better job of like updating it to contemporary setting. But if they went back to the, again, the late 90s, early aughts, if it was a little bit of period piece, it's going to make total sense. Yeah. Right. And it just didn't. It just was out of place and out of sort, particularly the mission system. I will say, you know, on one of the positives, because I initially was like when they were like, distraught over losing a star or distraught about getting a bad review. You know, Ying knows this very well because like he read this in the book that we wrote. I was like, that's so ridiculous. And I was like, no, that's not ridiculous. I've definitely had these crazy thoughts myself. <laughs> because I was like, man, like you think your world is over. And that's how self-indulgent, how stupid our profession is. You're like, you're in this little bubble and you think everything's so important. Whatever's on the plate is like life and death. And then you realize later, it's like, what a dumbass I was. <laughs> Nothing was that important. I thought of you, Chang, in that moment when, so the supposed Michelin inspectors are there and Tony, the maitre d' comes back and says, plates are clean, you know, we're ready for mains. And I thought about that in, in, in your story, Chang, when you, you've definitely watched the plates of critics and inspectors. And if they don't finish their dish, it sends you into a fucking spiral. And this is where I think they got some things right. And unfortunately not, it's weird to say what they got right, but I've never seen that outside of like real life. You know what I mean? Like even remotely close to that, that kind of intensity in the kitchen, particularly when a critic is in the house is one of the, the last, it's a two minute drill. And you got to be Joe Montana and you got to be like cold blooded and you have no opportunity to like fuck up and any fuck up is going to, you're going to lose the game. And it's that kind of seriousness. It's the same kind of seriousness you see in Michael Jordan, the last dance, right? So it's funny how we can celebrate one thing, but on the other hand, we're like, that's just food. It can't be that serious. But as we saw with Michael Reese's partner, he's like, this is my entire life savings. People pour themselves into this business, which is why you see the, just the terrible destruction that COVID-19 is doing right now because the livelihoods of so many people are at stake here. The reason why someone can take it as seriously as people do was because everything's on the line. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if a lot of people understand that. So that to me is the thing that could have saved the movie, the psychology Mm -hmm. of that. And, you know, there was an opportunity to build a believable arc around the kind of that intensity and that intensity having, you know, the uh, a demon element and how that was expressed in his, he was in an uncontrollable rage, but that same intensity informs his art, his craft, and the psychology of everything being on the line. Part of what compromised that for this shithead is he didn't have anything on the line. He weaseled his way into, the, <laughs> into an already existing restaurant and, you know, tried... They renamed it because he got Uma Thurman to come eat the food and give it a good review. Um, but the other, what a, by the way, what a horrible person to set that up so right. he could get the fucking job. And I mean, come on, man, that's just a bad. Person. <laughs> I thought that was a but sick move. The the psychology also of him with Emma Thompson. There was a real opportunity in those exchanges to like yeah. build something out there, and they, it was wasted. I thought. Last question from me. Do you two have any pros, any moments that stood out to you from this movie that hit you, 
as rang true emotionally or anything like that? Any redeeming qualities for this movie? Two lines for me. Just two lines. Because <laughs> this is what, how Joe House is for me. You're better than me, but the rest of us need you to lead us to places we wouldn't go otherwise. <laughs> otherwise go. <laughs> that, that, that's a good line. It's a good line. I agree with that. I honestly thought the only aspect of it that had any ring of truthiness to me, and maybe I'm overly fixated on the little girl because I just can't believe that Sienna Miller is leaving her daughter repeatedly to go support this dickhead. Yeah. That just challenges <laughs> my, my suspension of disbelief. But her eating the cake and not being impressed by it. That was like, oh, this is a kid who's like, you know, she's in a second fiddle position. She's at the, the restaurant where her mom is working, but her mom can't be with her on her birthday. They whipped her up a cake. Yeah, cake's not the best. Not the best I ever had. That was that felt true to me. That scene with the little girl also had really, truly the best line in the movie. Because if you're a real foodie, you're going to know what this means. When she, the little girl says about the gravy, oh, this is just gravy. And then Tony says, no, this isn't gravy. And then he says, actually, this is gravy because it just summarizes the stupid cycles of food trends so clearly. Yeah, he he goes like, we don't call that gravy anymore. Well, actually, yes. we started calling it gravy again, <laughs> which is literally the greatest like encapsulation of food media I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. There are there are little touches throughout. I feel like um, there's a moment where Adam Jones, Bradley Cooper, is eating in his nemesis Reese's restaurant. And Reese comes out of the kitchen to come sit at Bradley Cooper's table. And he sits down and the waiters immediately bring him a second glass and pour him a glass of water. And I was like, I've seen that happen. And it's a tiny little tick. It's a tiny little moment, but like a properly trained They don't do that at my restaurant. They don't do that <laughs> yes, for me. they fucking no, they do, don't. Dan. No, I've seen that shit. They come out and they say, Chef, can I get you something to drink? And you say, no, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Oh, well, maybe an old-fashioned. <laughs> You know, there are just all these things that made me so mad. And the last real food faux pas was when Reese was making an omelet for drunk Adam Jones, and he makes an omelet, and you see eggs still stuck in the pan. Uh, 100%. Unbelievable. Joe House, you just, Even that is I not know. possible. Yeah. No effing way. I was so mad. Yeah. You can't do that. It's crazy because they're trying to make a bit of food porn there. They're trying to do, and this is the, this is it. This is like it's perfect, Chang. It's a perfect encapsulation of the movie because they're trying to. I think in, in chef community, like making an omelet is a real signifier. If you can make a perfect, proper French omelet, you know what you're doing. And so they're doing this, and it's kind of like if you're a foodie chef, you're supposed to be like, oh, they're doing it. But exactly what Chang is saying. And before that, he fucked it up too. Reese fucked it up. You're not supposed to use a fork in a nonstick skillet. You can use a fork in a black steel, the old school French way. So whoever made the script and the food consultant, they didn't tie the two separate histories together. So mm. they fucked that up too. Yeah, they did fuck it up. But so he he turns the omelet over onto, onto the plate and I cannot stop seeing this chunk of omelet still stuck to the plate, to, to the pan. And it, it, it's infuriating, honestly. That's the word, infuriating. One one last, there is one positive, and I couldn't believe it. One thing they actually nailed, I feel, when I've seen a healthy kitchen that's very serious, is what is actually depicted at the end of the movie. People are doing their jobs. They don't have to ask, I need this, I need that. Every, it's, like, it's, like a, it's just a good basketball team. Everyone's doing their job. And it's, there's a sense of healthiness. It's healthy competition. But in that moment, I was like, that is actually the goal of what you want a kitchen to be. 
And I couldn't believe yeah. that if they, they nailed that part, the last five seconds of the fucking movie. <laughs> <laughs> when would you guys ever watch this movie again? Is it even like if you're stuck on an airplane? No. Like, how is this possible? No way. There's 10 million things you can do on an airplane rather than watch this garbage movie. I would only watch it if somebody paid me to watch it uh, and I got to sit with Bradley Cooper and tell him what I thought of it. That Then I would watch it again. Uh, on, a, on a totally different note, like we're going to really edit the hell out. This is going to be the best editing job anyone's ever fucking seen in their life. Sorry, Isaac. No, Isaac, I'm not sorry. You need to work harder, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Slacking off. Um what are you eating in, in quarantine, Joe House? Oh, yeah. Oh, so, Good so question. thank you for asking. And, and before I describe to you what I've been doing, I want to thank you for what you've been doing on Instagram. It is, I, I, I don't want to think about the coronavirus as having silver linings, right? It's, that's a, it's very weird, surreal way of processing life right now. But seeing you, Dave Chang, in a kitchen with regular stuff and the chicken thighs from, from earlier this week, <laughs> you microwave chicken thighs for eight minutes. Welcome to my world. That's yeah. right. So that this is, it's an incredible opportunity to see you and, you know, uh, Kenji Lopez out has been doing, yeah. he's got a, a GoPro on his head. He's cooking in his kitchen. It's like this. It feels very, um, I don't know. Lucky's the wrong word for it, but intimate to see because I we don't see you this way. We don't have this opportunity no. to see you cook. You know what I'm? I've never seen you cook. Like we've just <laughs> we've eaten together a lot, and and we're we're pals, and we have pal experiences. But now I get to watch you like cook yeah. in a kitchen, and it could be my kitchen, right? Joe House. Truth be told, Joe House did see me one of the very first times he met me bang my <laughs> fist on a table at, in, in DC. That's true. I was so angry at something. Was, I was like, I just went bang. And he's like, oh, time for me to go. <laughs> Gotta go. <laughs> it snuck right out of there. It was early days at Momofuku CCDC. But I appreciate it. I'm, I, I'm, I'm learning how to take video, how to edit. Chris knows this. I think I'm getting a little bit better. But, you know, the, one of the best things about this house is people are genuinely appreciative of whatever the hell I'm doing. And it just makes me want to keep on doing it. Yes. And, and, and really make food that everyone can make. And that's what has to happen, right? We have to humanize cooking in ways that the movie Burnt never fucking did. That's, it's so relatable. That's why I yeah. appreciate it. You saying I'm almost out of salt. I can't salt the pasta water. That's, that's fucking true. relatable. That's relatable. That's we're real life shit. Running out of olive oil. I was like, fuck, what are we going to do? I was like, okay, right. we're just going to do it this way now. Yeah. What's dinner tonight, House? Come on. Oh, we ordered in uh, some soul food. It's fried fish. Yeah, it's waiting for me upstairs. There's some fried catfish up there. Oh. I got some some jumbo fried shrimps. <laughs> oh, the house, <laughs> I didn't know. The house, I'm sorry. We, 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 <laughs> that's, a, that's a big faux pas on my end. What? You, yeah, you for can't sure. reheat that. You got to eat that now, brother. No, you no, cannot. it just arrived. I'm oh, telling okay. you, I saw my phone. It, it, it's, it's not even 15 minutes Past. Nobody wants to get off this podcast more than Joe Joss right now. I am We're cooking. We're cooking the basics. I, we're doing uh, steak. We're doing uh, uh, pasta. We're doing the two Taco Tuesday. Huge in my household. So I'm ordering. You know, if, if there, it feels like there's eight days to the week now because you can't distinguish between days. And I would say I'm ordering in yeah. four nights a week and cooking four nights a week because we are able to cook. I'm ordering enough. You know, obviously, I'm committed to uh, making sure the independent restaurants here in the D.C. area that are going to the time and trouble 
of putting up their food for takeout and delivery. I'm fucking ordering and I'm trying to spread the wealth. I'm ordering, I'm not going ordering twice from anywhere, but then I have the opportunity no. to make that into a, a meal because I'm ordering more than enough uh, on other days. Um, and that's how we're tackling it here in the DMV. Well, Joe House, I appreciate you coming on as a special guest. And I, I want us to have you back on where we talk about a positive movie that we like that, uh, Please. that we should do. <laughs> I well, you. you know, we should do Big Night. Let's just do Big Night in maybe like a, a, a couple weeks or three weeks because what else the fuck does it? I commend you for knowing what day Tuesday is because yeah. talking to Dave Chegg, he has no fucking idea what day any day is. <laughs> no idea. No idea. And I also uh, wanted to say I love I love the manly beard, Joe House. I've never seen you with the manly beard and you look oh, sexy damn. as all hell. That- you're thank my Alicia you. Viscander tonight. <laughs> I, I don't know where to go from that. I'll just say thank you. Uh, and can you get us out of here with a, a big old house of carbs? Like oh, you have I, the you, best intro ever. I, I just can't well, do it. I'll pimp the show this week. Uh, Brett Martin, who I, I think, you know, yeah, Dave, we've been talking to him. So GQ well. um, food writer is coming on to talk about the best new restaurants in America, which is going to be a very weird fucking conversation because of the moment that we're in. But he, he did all of the work and you know, the thing that you, part of what you've been taking on in your too small to fail series, Dave is, you know, when we're on the other side of this, how many of these restaurants are going to be out there? Mm -hmm. So whatever we can do to prop them up and, you know, just take uh, recognition of the crazy moment. So Brett Martin on house. Oh, cars. Awesome. <laughs> Next week. <laughs> Thank yes. you, Dave. That feels good. I think we need to do the good movies. Like, Burnt is just a bad movie. You know what I mean? Like, it would have been better to do No Reservations, but I think it's harder. You know what? I'm glad. We should maybe just leave this in the podcast. This is me and Chris talking and doing the, the postmortem of this podcast we did with Joe House. And, um, you know, we're figuring this out as we go. We just have no idea what we're doing on this, obviously. We're doing two podcasts a week. And on paper, Burnt seemed like a good idea until we actually had to watch the movie. And I was like, oh, man, this movie's so fucking bad. So, you know, we're we're telling you what we're going to do. We're going to... Probably whittle down the great Joe House's podcast he did with us to something that's manageable because we just did 90 minutes of how bad this movie was because Burnt <laughs> fucking sucks. So. We, we, we've done you one good is you don't have to watch this movie. <laughs> we have to keep our podcast recording shorter than the movie as a general rule for fuck's yeah. sake. And I can tell you from my own experience being in Treme, and I like to joke I'm the reason why Treme was canceled after season two or three i can't remember but well so can you tell um, me i mean cheng can you give me a sense so you know burnt had a quote executive culinary consultant like what is that process actually like for you who i'm sure were, was asked about what the food should be like on this movie i mean even we had Soa davis who was the r&d head for la bernadette uh helping out in treme and I, I i'm sure they hired a bunch of people to do this which is why it was a disconnect there was no like uh, throughput, consistent line throughout the movie. And when we did Treme, food was so important to David Simon and the whole team. That's what made it so difficult to shoot is that the food actually had to work, taste good. You know, everyone's eating it. We want to get good reactions. So it's being made consistently. And I've learned that shooting food is one of the most difficult things to do 
in film because you have to constantly match shots and it's not like pouring a beverage you actually have to sort of match what's on the plate so it's a it's a nightmare to film it's not easy to do but it can be done and i think the, just the sheer physicality and the logistical challenges of shooting food makes it hard to do. So we've gotten a little taste of that on the show we're shooting for Hulu, but can you get a little deeper into just take me step by step through if you're on Treme, you're on like a scripted show and you're in charge of the food or whatever, like why, what makes it difficult? Okay, number one is, you know, I asked Simon and Bourdain back then, I was like, why the fuck are you casting me? to play a version of myself and i was so you don't tell like david simon and tony like no well i, I didn't want to do it but they're like listen this character is playing you know working at a restaurant that's um owned by a korean american chef and uh we can't find anyone that looks remotely like you and also if we can they don't know how to cook at all so just do us a favor and play yourself i was like fuck but that was one of the, you know, back then it was hard because it was hard for, for them to cast. And two, cooking and acting are very different things. And I was able to work with Kim Dickens a lot. And she's an amazing actress. She's in Briar Patch. She's in Fear the Walking Dead. She's been in Deadwood as well. And she's an unbelievable actress. Listen, I'm a horrible actor. And the only reason I was cast is because they couldn't find a large Korean person that knew how to cook. That was it. Not because I fucking was, they were literally in a bind. They're like, you know what? Fuck, man. We just need you to play yourself, right? We'll make it easy for you. Don't fuck it up. Um, let me tell you what, I, I'm a horrible fucking actor and I take everything back I've ever said negatively about actors <laughs> because it's hard. You know what? I, I really did learn after shooting Treme for like a season. I was like, you know what's really hard? saying lines and like shooting a gun. So you any and anyone that did anything like acting's hard enough but then to actually like do physical shit and act god, I had no fucking idea, let alone remembering your lines and they would give me these fucking lines that were like two sentences and I still <laughs> fuck them up. And they're like don't worry, we'll edit it. You're you'll, you'll, you'll it'll look like you're saying a complete sentence and I just was so nervous and it's hot because you were in New Orleans and you're in a kitchen where it's also on a stage. So everything is like, I took a drop of acid because the walls would move and then you shoot a scene and then you got to <laughs> shoot it again from here and here and do the same thing over and over again. And I always would feel so incompetent because I'm working with this world-class actress who they give like three page soliloquies and she was doing it with like no problem. I was like, I would always ask her like, how are you remembering this? How do you remember your lines? It's unbelievable. You know, I feel like, Rock I always joke I was Rocky Balboa in Rocky when he was shot that commercial. I just couldn't say the fucking lines. Can I just say, I remember one of your lines was, awesome food, chef. <laughs> because they actually had to rewrite it because like, wow, you know what? We should have just cast any, any Asian guy. <laughs> This fucking knucklehead. <laughs> Wait, so tell me tell me what makes it Again, so... It makes it hard because you have to act and cook. And acting and cooking are two different things. Plus, when I say mash the shots, again, this is a, from my perspective. You're cooking something and you could say everything right, but then you have to do it again at a different angle. And then again from a different angle. And then again from a different angle. And then from a... Like sometimes four to six angles. So if you're going to shoot like what was a 30-second scene, that could take six hours. Yeah. It's painstaking work, and I just don't have the patience for it. And that's what makes it hard because acting and cooking, like you actually have to look real enough. And it's not like you're going to find someone that's going to be a stunt double to just do it. Because a lot of those scenes in Burnt are just cuts, you know? It's like Bradley Cooper's really not 
doing that to right. the cake. You know what I mean? Like you don't want that. That's just like you want a sense of believability. So, you know, a lot of the cooking that we were doing, like Kim was actually making. And I was like, I was like, how the fuck are you doing this <laughs> and acting? And that's what makes it hard. I don't think everyone can do that. Because it's not like you can act and cook, even though I tell a lot of cooks that I think you're an actor <laughs> stuck in a role playing the role of an actor. <laughs> you're yeah. so deep in method acting, you forgot that you're an actor, not a cook. <laughs> I think that's what, I mean, uh, but that's right, right? Like, it's still a foreign enough world where there's just this, like, disjointed thing between, like, the cooking scenes and the acting scenes, right? Like, I think that's what you're talking about. When an actor doesn't have to, like, pretend that they're a chef, pretend that they're cooking, they're much better. And it's right. easier to pretend like you're a musician, pretend you're a painter, pretend you're a writer. But, like, a movie like Burnt gets it wrong because you're trying to serve two masters. You're trying to be like, oh, we're, like, we got this deep foodie cred because we use sous vide, but we're also trying to, like, show some real emotional genuineness and authenticity and and i think like that's that's what makes it hard and like i don't know like how many like you uh, you love what how many how many cooking movies do you actually like two three they're really not that many and i know a lot of people are trying everybody wants to do a tv series of cooking that's a scripted series and i don't know you know having seen some scripts because I may or may not have helped in, in trying to make it better or working on it myself. It's hard because so much of cooking is like a Seinfeld episode. <laughs> it's about way. nothing. <laughs> it's about nothing. It's about repetition over and over and over again. And they think that there's all this sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And I assure you, that's not happening in most high-end kitchens. I can't speak for a lot of kitchens. I've worked in a, a specific kind of kitchen most of my life. Everyone's like, oh, the sous chef wakes up and uh, he's getting a blowjob in the walk-in. I was like, no, that doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. And then they're going out to dinner and the, you know, this cook is like just macking on all these girls. And, and I was like, no, 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 no. They don't care about that. That doesn't happen. I tell you what happens. Most of the cooks are getting drunk at a bar because no girls want to talk to them and vice versa. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, it's so mundane that I think Hollywood can't believe how mundane it actually is. You have a bunch of people that, you know, it's, it would be like, could you make people that collect comic books and sell comic books exciting? <laughs> yeah, but that's, I think you got to the core of it right there is, I think that people in Hollywood don't believe in cooking. And we've had this experience, Chang, like we've had this experience like pitching shows, talking about, the restaurant world trying to get people to understand that the human drama, the, the intrinsic value of people who know deep down inside, you know, deep down inside, you've said it to me many, many times that what you do ultimately becomes shit. Yeah. To know that and to still put every fiber of your being into doing it, like that fucking drama in itself is something special, but nobody wants to believe that. So they've got to say like, they've got to heighten the drama, they've got to heighten the stakes. And, and, and that's that's the difference, I think, is... is 100%, and that's it. where a movie like Burnt went wrong and a movie that's like A Hundred Foot Journey gets right, is like there's jealousy. You know, one of the characters in A Hundred Foot Journey, who's like the sous chef, is jealous at the talent level of someone else. And like... That to me was real. And, you know, one of the best things, again, in Burnt was, you know, Reese, the character, basically saying, he's like, you're better than me. Fuck you. Yeah. And, like, honestly, that relationship was real. 
I, I agree with that. I agree with that entirely. I think that, that that relationship makes the least sense to the outside world, to people who are supposed to just very simply hate each other and just be angry about one another's success. But that was the truest relationship. I think like underneath hatred and competition is this recognition of this person is exactly they, they like me. Through, they went through hell and back. And I, I feel that way with a lot of the people I work with. Like Kraft was very different than, say, Cafe Balud, But... You know, you know how tight I am with all those guys at Cafe Blue, and and it's been a long time. And when we see each other, I don't ever want to make any comparison to war or anything like that. But it's the only thing I can liken it to because I have no other relationships like that in my life. Where it's like, man, like I see someone I worked for like three months, but we were in hell. And a lot of people I don't like, we're still like, you know what? I hate you, but I'll respect you. It's just, it's really hard, Chang, because like I said, here's the difference is I think in an ER or the White House, which, you know, the director of Burnt has made TV shows about, it's easy to make the drama. It's easy to identify the drama, but you have to believe in the kitchen. And you and I had a podcast with Wiley the other day, and, and I didn't say this to you guys in the podcast, but what I think unites you two or any chef that I really admire is this unwavering and true belief in food, in kitchens, in restaurants? I, I, well, you tell me about that, and I still I was like, I always think about it. I was like, what the fuck? You does don't. That mean? You don't. I, I don't think you see it, but like, there are so fucking many people who work in food, who write about food, who talk about food. They don't believe in it. I talk to well, you. Can you explain? Yeah, that? I will. I, I talk to you, and it's like there will be blood. <laughs> I'm talking to a fucking preacher and I've never joined a cult. I've never been willing. I've never like wanted to join a cult. I've worked in kitchens though. And there's something inexplicable that you try to communicate to people and you don't, you're not proselytizing. You're not trying to preach, but the difference between you and Wiley and the people you and I admire and, and, and pretenders is that it's not lip service. I think you really, really, really deep down, and I'm saying this to you, and I know it won't affect your belief because I think it's it's true and intrinsic. When you and I talk on Ugly Delicious or we talk anywhere about what food can do, I think that deep down most people believe it can't do much. It's something you put in your mouth and it tastes good or it doesn't, and you eat it, and it turns into shit. I think that you really believe that you can change people's minds with food that you can make a difference with food, that if you put everything you have in, in you into nourishing somebody else, that you can say things with your food that you can't say with your mouth. 100%. You know? I, I, of course I believe that, but I, that, that's right there. You think that other people do as yeah, well, but they don't. I think that's like a given. It's not. It's absolutely not. I'm well. Listen, I can I can understand why people may not believe that. For example, there's people that aren't moved by art, or they aren't not moved by music. And I always think about Cameron Crowe and Almost Famous. When a lot of people think when like you know, Kate Hudson's role is like a little bit like too ditzy potentially. I was like, no, like they love music with all their life, and I get that. And that's exactly. I think it. the difference the difference with me is I can see the absurdity of it of this business and the stupidity of it, and simultaneously be part of it, the good and the bad. And you know, like I can see that, like a movie as bad as Burnt, which is in some ways good, is for me when I saw him 
go when Bradley Cooper gets sabotaged by Michelle, which again should be commended because Michelle did the right thing. Again, right. A, lot, a lot of people would be like, "That's terrible!" Like, "Fuck Michelle's like no, Michelle's the fucking hero in this fucking movie." Bradley Cooper is a horrible motherfucker in this movie and should have gotten beaten. The sh- just never given another opportunity. Michelle should have been given every opportunity in the world. Michelle became one of the best cooks at Jean Luc's kitchen and like didn't have his own kitchen and got sabotaged. No, 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 no. That shouldn't have happened. And he did the right thing by getting sabotage. But when Adam Jones finds out that, like, oh my God, that's the Michelin guide, and I, my life is ruined, and I, I was basically wasted everyone's time, and I'm, I am a horrible person, and he falls off the wagon. You know, we've talked about this before. You know, like after that Nietzsche review, yeah. I felt that way. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, like Grace is right around the corner. Like, I'm talking about this. Like, I, I think that if I didn't have grace in my life at that time, I think something really bad could have happened yeah. in like this 48 hours. And that was unequivocally something that's taken me a long time to look back at and be like, it's not that important. It's not that important. And I can say that, but I know that it is, which is why when I watch that and I can see how stupid and how patently absurd it is to care about a Michelin star. Mm-hmm. When a chef takes their life, mm-hmm. right? whether it's Bernard Wiseau or the chef that took over Freddie Girardet. And you know that I've talked to a lot of chefs about this when they've gotten a bad review. The first thing I always ask them is, are you okay? I, you know, it's like, there's a chef that I know that was like, he thought about jumping off a bridge. Yeah. And I'm just like, this is the stories that need to be told, but aren't told. And the fact that, a movie as bad as Burn actually captured one moment accurately. And it's all bad except for these moments where that actually should be spoken about. That's when I'm like, fuck, man, you had an opportunity to really shed some light on a terrible subject because how could someone take something so seriously that they'd be willing to like die over? Yeah. Well, that's the difference. I mean, I, people like food and they love food. You can love food and not believe in it. Chang, I mean, listen, you and I have known each other for 10 years now and, you know, I'll follow you anywhere because I I, I see somebody in you who believes in what they're doing and I I doesn't see it as a vehicle to get something else. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing though. It doesn't matter if you don't know. Like I can sense when somebody doesn't believe in what they're talking about. And that, you know, like at Burns at its best is captures a couple of moments here and there when it's like, this means a lot to somebody else. This means a lot to my character. This means a lot to who this theoretical person is. But there's no moment where I'm like, oh, you, the director, you, the writer, you, the actor, anybody believes in this thing. It's easy to believe in music. It's easy to believe in first responders, firefighters, paramedics, doctors. It's easy to believe in military, uh, army, service people. And I do too. But it's harder to believe in, in mm-hmm. what you can accomplish through food. and. Chang, man, like you and I have had a lot of a lot of conversations over the last decade, and I there are moments where I know for a fact that you really believe what you're doing and you believe in the importance of it. And I don't know, like this isn't helpful to any movie directors out there who are trying to make a movie about food. But um, no, I mean, I appreciate what, and I hear what you're saying, but I'm always like, food at its best is like, at least the restaurant cooking that can't happen because ultimately food's not that important. It isn't other than getting your sustenance, but ultimately it is what I love most about cooking is this in a professional kitchen. 
besides the hijinks and the tomfoolery, which is why I genuinely love professional kitchens yeah, because you can act like a total fucking buffoon who's the funniest person in the room. I love it when some that light clicks on in someone's head, when that moment someone realizes like, why am I cleaning? Why do I care about organizing? <laughs> I can't even do anything like this. In my entire life, I've avoided organizing. My entire life, I've avoided cleaning. I've never cared about doing anything well. Yeah. Why do I care about cleaning well? Why do I care about organizing well? Why do I want to fillet this fish better? Why do I want to make this dish just a tad bit better? Why do I want to make the pasta farce less loose so it's better tomorrow? Because ultimately, it's absurd. You're going to eat it and you're going to shit it out, right? All of these things. It's like this beautiful thing of existential absurdity wrapped into fucking food. And it's it's very, again, I think, uh, I always think like, like a mandala by Buddhism. It's like, why would you spend all this time to create the sandcastle only to blow it away in a ceremony? It's so dumb. But I think in that stupidity is wrapped in something that's beautiful. And I think it does, in some ways, capture the human spirit that I care about in the face of all adversity and logic and reason, you're still going to move forward and try to make it right. Yeah. And, and, and then better yourself. And that's what I think at the very core of what food can be in a professional kitchen is bettering oneself. Yeah. And then you're not being motivated by a stock option. You're not being motivated by making more money. All of these things are important, making money now. Like all of these things, yes. But I can't force you to get better. How do I create an environment where you're going to want to be better to, so that light clicks on on your own to be like, wait, I can only make myself better. And that's a fucking beautiful thing. And I would, when that happens, that's the winning, man. And when you do that, that's what I was talking about at the end of the, the, the movie where people are like, wait, I've learned the Jedi way a little bit. It's not about me. Bradley Cooper at the end, he like, he's gone the, the dark ways. And, you know, I don't want to be a reductive of the Jedi. You know, I talk about this all the time, but I think it, 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 the thing that happens too, the next level, when you realize like, oh, it's not about me. It's yeah. about bettering everyone else. Yeah, it's, it's, it's. Hi, hi, Ruby. Hi, Ruby. We're going to eat outside. Okay, we're going to eat outside. I'll be right there. Give me five minutes, okay? Okay. Love you. We're already, we're starting to do it. Okay, you're starting to eat already? Okay, I'll be right there. I'll be right there. I'll be right there. I, I think that's, you know, Chang, I think that that scene where Bradley Cooper's hotel room is a disaster and his kitchen is pristine, that to me is. Yeah, it's real. Another but, real but moment. Also, you let everything kind of fall ap- apart for the sake of your Hi, of what you're doing. We'll let you go. You know what? I think we should. I, this is getting good now. I know. I think this is the this is this is what we got to talk about, Chang. And it's I. I mean, I'm going to be honest. Like I'm tearing up just thinking about. I keep on trying to. I keep on trying to articulate what I'm saying. The difference between the chefs I truly love and admire, and and everybody else, and and it's that. It's that moment of like. You know, like you in your early days at Momofuku, orderliness, keeping the absolutely highest standards at the restaurant was everything. But your home life was, uh, I, I don't mess. know how to get this. I don't know how to get this air conditioning unit into my window. I'm just going to duct tape it with books. Yeah. Like that's, that's the difference. Okay. Chang, I don't know, man. Like, let's let's keep talking. But you know what? Let's continue this. I, I actually think we should edit this. And I think we have something actually now really good. <laughs>